Hi everyone, welcome to the Footprint Futures podcast, where the founders of Footprint, Danny Scholz and myself, Sebastian Gear, interviewing leading entrepreneurs and sustainability innovators. In each episode, we want to learn from these inspiring change makers on why and how to accelerate the world towards a sustainable future. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Footprint Futures podcast. Today, we host David Jaber, founder of Climate Positive Consulting. Throughout this episode, we will discuss the need for greenhouse gas production strategies, how corporate sustainability awareness and consumer demand have evolved in the past 20 years, ESG as a metric, and much more. Enjoy the podcast. All right, I'm here today with David Jaber. Thank you so much for taking the time. A pleasure to be here. So you are the founder of Positive Climate Consulting, which is providing climate consulting services to companies specifically in the US and Canada and um, helping businesses to reduce their emissions and strategizing with them about implementing new sustainability initiatives, reaching sustainability goals. You have a long experience in the industry working in the sustainability sector, so looking forward to learn from you. Um, but it would be really great for the audience, David, if you could give an introduction maybe about yourself, about your story and um, about your journey. Sure. And thank you again for having me. So professionally, I was trained in engineering, so went through what we call in the U.S. undergrad for chemical engineering and then went to grad school for environmental engineering, in part just because my values I developed in undergrad, it was very clear to me that you know, I, environment was something that I valued and I really wanted to work in that area. So I got trained to work in environmental engineering. And for those that aren't familiar with it, in environmental engineering, you essentially get trained to clean up pollution, whether that's in soils, in air, or water. So after practicing that, though, for a couple of years, what I found is that you'll often run into a lot of intractable problems. So if someone spills toxic chemicals on dirt, how do you clean dirt? And so some solutions that I saw in place would be things like what they called pump and treat systems, where you try to pump out groundwater to clean out the chemicals. And these things could be operating for many years before they got the chemicals down to a level that was considered safe for whatever the use of the land was. And just so based on that and seeing all the challenges, that just gave me the genius idea that maybe we shouldn't pollute in the first place. And so from there, I started to explore and just kind of look around and see what people were doing in this space. And some were calling it pollution prevention. Some were calling it green business. Uh, some were calling it sustainable business, but it was all centered around this idea that we can do businesses, business in cleaner ways, and we should find ways to make that happen. And so exploring this and finding people that were working in what they were calling sustainable business consulting, that had a lot of appeal to me because I one thing I was clear about is businesses can have a huge impact. Um, you know, they're using a lot of resources to create the products and services that all of us use. And there just seemed to be a lot of potential working specifically in that space. And so this was in the late 90s. 
And when I looked around, there were not a lot of firms that were kind of working in this area. It was pretty emerging. So I made some connections, just reaching out um, on the internet that was still sort of relatively nascent at that point, made, made the connections, and then just sort of kept in touch. And at one of these firms, there was a three-month position that opened. So I applied. I managed to get the position, and the three-month position lasted seven years. And so that gave me this base, great base of work with businesses on sustainability. And at that point, it was it was certainly some kind of greenhouse gas accounting work. It was working with companies on zero waste, helping them see how much waste they were producing and looking to rechannel that into recycling, compost, or even better, not creating waste in the first place, just being more efficient in their operations. We got into water a little bit, but I think a lot of it had to do with solid waste um, and greenhouse gas accounting. Renewable energy is sort of associated with that, but we weren't necessarily doing installation. And so then I took that after that seven years of experience and launched my own firm. And so for the last 12 years, we've been working in those fields, but increasingly focused on climate. And then I rebranded recently to climate positive consulting to really capture uh, what we do. So we analyze carbon footprint, we craft climate strategy, and we drive greenhouse gas reduction with business clients. Got it. Got it. So I think, yeah, I mean, a lot of, you know, experience in the industry, I think uh, what's been also interesting to you, you've been touching about your journey with, um, with your own company. Um, but you also have been associated with a lot of other organizations, I think, which we talked a little bit before the recording. I think one of the things, for example, you have been involved is, is Project Broadon. Uh, which I think is a great resource for people to um, to have a look at. Maybe you uh, would also maybe uh, maybe like to share a little bit what is maybe Project Drawdown and maybe what are some of the other other organizations you have been associated with, I think, on the journey and have been part of different projects. Absolutely. Project Drawdown has gotten a lot of attention, I think, as you mentioned. So the premise behind Project Drawdown is that we can actually start to reduce climate change and quote unquote draw down carbon dioxide in the atmosphere if we make a concerted effort to implement globally a set of technologies to reduce whether to tackle greenhouse gas footprint and do that over 30 years. So whether we're looking at renewable energy and efficiency to reduce the rate at carbon of going into the atmosphere or whether we're looking at carbon removal technologies that can draw carbon dioxide out of the air. And part of that includes nature-based solutions. And within Drawdown, there is a big emphasis on kind of you know, nature-based nature solutions, basically sequester that in, in soils or trees. This, that's fundamentally what Project Drawdown was about. I became a fellow and was one of their, in their first cohort of fellows back in 2015. And what was interesting is so, I and my other fellows, you know, for several months, we worked to measure the impact of different climate solutions. Some people were working on kind of, you know, organic agriculture and things like silvopasture and different kind of farming techniques. Other people might be looking at the potential of, of forests to take up carbon. Some of us were looking at things like, you know, heat pumps and, and solar panels. So we worked for several months and it was Actually, one of those things, because some of us, you know, we participate in a lot of different, you know, projects and efforts, and you never know, like, what's going to come out of, out of your participation. 
So in this case, after my several months, I think it probably almost two years, I think had gone by. And then I heard that a book was coming out and my reaction was like, oh, great. I'm glad that went somewhere. And then when the book was released, um, I believe it was, it was April of 2017 or 2018 now. Um, but there's this explosion of interest. And I think a huge piece of it, it was it for the first time for a lot of us, I think it put this positive spin on climate change and the fact that we actually could proactively tackle climate change by implementing solutions. I think it might be hard to remember now, but I think for a long time, the trajectory of working on climate, it was you know seen as kind of this doing less bad exercise where we need to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and we're all really fossil fuel dependent. So it doesn't seem like there's a lot of potential, like there's a lot of negativity and a lot of depression. And there still is a fair amount of negativity and depression, but I think Project Drawdown and I think movements like regenerative agriculture have really helped shift our awareness toward the fact that we actually can have a positive vision to work forward, to work toward, and that's a lot more inspiring and engaging to people. So I think that's one of the key contributions I see from Project Drawdown. And I'm interested, you know, if you have more insights or thoughts on that, just based on what you've seen, I'm, I'm interested to hear more. No, I think you did a, I think a great summary. I think it's a, it's a great resource for, for you know, companies, ESG leaders, sustainability leaders to, to look into. Provides like a great overview and I think it's one of the best resources. I think definitely can recommend that to people. Um, I mean, diving a little bit into your experiences working with different companies. So what do you think are some of the, the major um, topics basically that um, you are seeing when you work with companies uh, when it comes to their sustainability um, opportunities? Uh, you have been, I think, in before the recording already mentioned to me that I think you work a lot of businesses that are in the manufacturing um, side of things. So where's the biggest opportunities for businesses there to drive positive impact when it comes to the environmental uh, impact? This is going to be influenced by, you know, I think my own bias and what we do. But so climate positive is predicated on the notion that measurement matters. And it's crucial to use that measurement to generate insights and drive better business decisions. I think because there's so much activity in the space, you have people that are, you know, specifically working on finance people that are specifically working on, you know, kind of, you know, clean energy implementation, installing renewables, and a variety, you know, a wide range, you know, people looking at oceans, there's, there's a lot of activity. Our focus is kind of greenhouse gas accounting. And so we're oriented toward positive action around climate impact, and that's kind of embedded in the name. And when I say climate impact and climate strategy, ultimately, our focus is greenhouse gas reduction. So I could even draw that more narrowly looking at kind of greenhouse gas reduction strategy. And as I mentioned, that's typically thought as an exercise in doing less bad. And there's truth to that. Um, we do need to ratchet down emissions. But ultimately, you can look at these different climate solutions as positive interventions in that footprint and draw inspiration from action in a different way. We do work mostly with... Um, I would say consumer packaged goods is sort of a big category for us. Um, a lot of manufacturing, food processing, some apparel. It's a lot of companies that have a brand that's either exposed to the public or is exposed to customers that care about climate. And so these companies, you know, there's real pressure to show that they're being responsible on um, carbon fronts. 
you mentioned ESG a few minutes ago, and that's sort of been interesting to see sort of explode over the last few years to where now it's out, the investor community is actually providing a lot of pressure. And I know I and my peers, um, you know, other consultants are just have been never been this busy. And I think it has a lot to do with um, ESG investors being keenly interested in the social responsibility of their investments. And that's driven attention to the issue in a very different way from boards and corporate leadership than was even the case five years ago. Um, back to your question, just specifically about about we do, uh, what you know, who we who we work with. I think again, that's sort of manufacturing. I think just because also in addition to the brand exposure, there's also you know who has the largest footprint, and typically that's sort of manufacturers and companies that are producing products. We can work with service companies. We can even work with non-businesses, but that's kind of really been been our core focus and I think where we see potential. And if there was an aspect of your question I did not address, uh, just let me know. No, I think I think that's I think that's um, really great. I think one um, one of the things that's interesting when it comes to the framing of sustainability, and I'm curious if you made similar learnings, is that, for example, if an architect wants to build a more sustainable building, at least some years ago, maybe that's a change for some architects, but. And the way you're trying to frame, um, like to make this building more sustainable is by talking about additional benefits that are around the aspect of sustainability without mentioning sustainability, maybe in the first place. I mean, you hired specifically also from companies with sustainability already uh, sort of on the table, but you know, very often when it comes to about selling sustainability, you know, for an architect, for example, would talk about making it more cost efficient, making it easier to repair, making it faster to uh, December. Uh, or, as, uh, or assemble. So basically talking about additional benefits that are, for example, time costs, business revenue, um, wh whatever other KPI you find on the business side, and you use them basically as arguments. And sustainability is implemented in all of the ideas without being the first argument. Because the people who hear about sustainability in the beginning, they maybe think it's expensive, right? Uh, or maybe it sets up their, their mind in a, in, a, in a wrong way. Do you make similar learnings when it comes to that? Do you use additional benefits around selling sustainability or uh, climate impact? That's an interesting question because I, I think that portion of it is important. Honestly, we are not often asked to do you know make sort of a business case pitch. And I think part of that is because there's been awareness around sustainability from at least my lens for at least 20 years. There's been enough information out there that companies, a lot, at least the companies that we work with, there's pretty great awareness that you know, carbon emissions, greenhouse gas emissions are something that they need to reduce and tackle. There certainly can be cost savings, but that's not usually the driver a lot of it has to do with customer demands and if you think about that as sort of revenue because there are companies that especially with b2b companies because there are a lot of the you know walmart microsoft a lot of big companies are now have been asking their supply chain to perform better and if you think about your performance letting you access what might be you know 10 percent, 20 percent of your market depending on your sales I think that's sort of one key aspect of, you know, kind of what, what's driving sustainability. More recently, as I mentioned, investors have been involved. So I think, um, you know, boards and corporate leadership, if they want to attract certain investors, 
are now also needing to prove to these investors that if they invest, they're not only going to get a financial return, but there's not going to be other material risks that this that their potential investment is exposing them to because they're not taking responsibility for their social and environmental impacts. So I think in we're mostly working with, I think, more enlightened and more proactive. So I'm not going out to people who are like not on board and like trying to do a hard sell. It's mostly uplifting the companies that are either leading or now I would even argue sort of in the, the mainstream of the movement and just trying to figure out how they can do things better. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that makes sense because, I mean, uh, otherwise they would be not open the idea of like hiring an expert in that, that direction, right? Yeah, exactly. You'd need to have enough buy-in to like at least have a budget together to to re reach out to a consultant. I think that, you know, I think the example I brought maybe is more true to whatever service businesses are out there that are providing a service that is not framed around sustainability in the first place and they want to infuse sustainability like architects, like designers, like people who are doing some kind of work for a business and they are hiring about creating certain artifact outcome and they want to infuse sustainability into the discussion. And um, maybe then this is a better way to talk about the additional business benefits, which I think it's a, an interesting in uh, I think an interesting way to kind of uh, get people maybe interested in it. Um, that that actually makes a lot of sense now that you explain it. So I think the analog for us I think would be like management consulting firms that haven't been involved with sustainability but are advising their clients on how to do exactly. better yeah, business. Yeah. And you see that because like yeah. McKinsey and a lot of these core sort of mainstream management consultants are picking up portions of at least. Okay. Um, those are popular in the U.S. I think in in Europe, I think you have sort of different set, but companies that still serve that purpose. No, that's been a big trend. Um, uh, it seems like every big uh, business co uh, consulting firm nowadays has a sustainability program and um, even have maybe goals about a revenue that should come from their sustainability consulting there in you know some kind of um, target. So it's it's huge, definitely. I think it's a, it's a growing attention. Um, And you know, people talk about it as sort of the next wave, right? Because uh, I think there was digitalization wave, and now uh, I think the next wave is um, is probably around sustainability. Um, so I think what's interesting also is that I think um, I think most sustainability strategies are around top down, and that makes a lot of sense. I think that's how you can do a lot of transformative change within companies. Um, and, you know, um, changing organizations, departments, uh, launching new initiatives, etc. Um, has been bottom up. So basically, they're engaging the employees in, in these initiatives, having shared ownership from, from maybe the sort of like uh, the worker side, uh, basically in the sustainability efforts, being also part of the discussion that you are facing. Uh, how do you feel about that space? Do you think it's maybe like an opportunity to um, for companies to uh, further investigate? How do you feel about the topic of uh, bottom-up in comparison to you know, top-down when it comes to sustainability, um, transformation of businesses? All levels certainly need to be coordinated. And companies can have processes that support or don't support this. I think historically different people have taken different approaches. I'd probably say, at least for our field, probably more of the top down. And I think for those, after you start implementation, you realize that's not sufficient because you have you might have policy at a high level, but then you have people making purchasing and management 
decisions kind of further down in the organization if they're not bought in or they don't know, you know, they don't have the information they need to make better decisions. That's not going to be helpful. I so in you know a huge part of our work is is generating insight. So we're being asked to help companies who may not have even done their first kind of greenhouse gas inventory to help them figure out their pathway forward on kind of greenhouse greenhouse gas reduction. And so and make that pretty transparent. So just kind of talk about, you know, kind of what we did, what we found, the inputs of their company that we looked at and what came out of the analysis. And so I sort of see our work as a tool to help companies enable that. Um, we're not always sitting inside the, the company to decide, you know, how to broadcast information and who to engage. We certainly usually work, at, we ask for a sort of a core team that's pretty cross-functional because to get the information we need and clients, actually the client, their main responsibility is more data collection. You need to work with people that are in the purchasing or sourcing department, depending on how they call it. People in accounting, because there's some spend-based analysis that we do. Operations, certainly, because there's kind of facilities. And then typically, I generally prefer a CFO or the financial person to be involved just because they need to be able to see the results so they can see priorities and, and fund it. Because if, we, if our recommendations don't get any funding, they're not going anywhere. And um, so I think that's, I see our work as a tool to help support that. But it's really sort of an ongoing process, I think, on how well, how well you coordinate with within your company to make sure that leaders are sending the right signals and people lower down in the organization feel empowered to sort of make make the right decisions part of that is setting goals and targets and that's a big piece of kind of you know what what we what we do as well but that's you know that's certainly not sufficient and it, it again is going to like company needing to commit time resources and financial resources to making these happen and then certainly implementation can frequently get upset by any number of sort of disruptions or other priorities that come up with, um, depend, depending on the company. Um, COVID sort of one example and carbon and sustainability certainly remain priorities kind of throughout the pandemic, but there's been a lot of, you know, kind of sourcing and supply chain issues that are taking a lot of oxygen, for example. So it, they're in this moment, and I think in almost any moment, there's all, certainly challenges to getting that more complete implementation that all of us would like to see for great greenhouse mm -hmm. gas performance. Yeah, I think like to the point you made earlier, I think it's important that um, that you know with any kind of initiatives that you do at a company that you um, uh, like you bring in the people that are responsible for either the decision making or the implementation, right? So like you never get anywhere with any innovation in a company if you do not bring along the people that are actually have to implement it. Or um, like they're going to be at least like part of that. You want to create shared ownership, and I think to your point with the CFO, of course, also to to have the commitment um, from them as well, because otherwise you do the project, but then they're not going to get funded afterwards, or it, it doesn't go anywhere. So uh, that's I think always the the goal. I think from a outside perspective, you work with any kind of business that you kind of they do find ways to integrate more stakeholders or ask the people you work with to see if this, uh, I don't know how, could make sure this is carried 
by more shoulders, basically. Yeah, exactly. One, one uh, recently, a client, we have a, usually have a project kickoff. And one thing I thought was interesting is um, they suggested we do a presentation of the whole company, like upfront before the analysis was done, but at least so everyone would know that, you know, this was moving forward. It was a priority for the company um, just to help sort of seed that idea. And I think help embed it like, like you were just saying. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Talking about maybe sustainability strategies, do you usually have um, you know, pillars of like, a, like I say, like a good sustainability strategy? Could you describe like what, what, is, what are pillars of a good sustainability strategy from your point of view? So my caveat on this would be we're, so we're very focused on kind of greenhouse gas reduction. I think like, like I was saying, I have seen certainly a lot of different service companies or different, um, whether it's clients or actually pure firms they will sort of take a pillars of sustainability approach. And usually that's topically based. So it could be like climate, water, reforestation, zero waste. Like that's one way people organize pillars. That's not necessarily relevant um, to us. I think it's more of, um, we're looking specifically at greenhouse gas reduction. So as part of our, after we've gone through our analysis, we do provide recommendations that end up being sort of the, the core content of a strategy. And then really honestly need to work with our clients to really form up what that means. But, you know, certain factors or things that need to um, sort into that. It's like, you know, how much are you going to staff for this over the next year? If you're looking at implement, how much money are you going to put forward given the assessment we can do on some fronts? Um, because we don't necessarily have access to, you know, their potential to like source things and what the different price potential would, 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 would be for that. But we can look at things like, like um, renewable energy and generate, you know, rough costs for solar implementation, for example. So we can give, uh, there are some measures that we can give, you know, rough financial parameters to upfront and then just try to have that part of the strategy conversation. Cause I think resourcing would be a big portion of, to me, if um, we, we can call that a sort of a, a part of the pillar of the strategy, another big piece of it. And honestly, our huge focus is just the content of what, what you're doing as a part of the strategy to, to, to fill that in and then also try to get that over a timeline. But um, if, if we have pillars, it's more sort of on the classic, you know, project management, like, you know, who's responsible, what are they doing? Um, how much resources do they get and kind of what, what's the time frame they have, they have to work on. So encouraging clients to do that, that's would be sort of what we would see as sort of the core strategy that would ultimately from the client's eyes, give them what they need to be able to kind of work through and actually hit a kind of greenhouse gas reduction target. Yeah. I think that, as you said, I think that totally makes sense, right? It's very specific to, to sort of the, the sector you work with in, in your case, greenhouse um, emission reduction. Um, uh, as a, as a last question, before we wrapping up, I think like you already, before the recording, you already mentioned that ESGs of, of course, are getting more important. This has been also partly to, for example, investment, uh, investors being cautious about like the investments they make and want to use ESG as a score to sort of like see, uh, what is sort of like the companies they're investing in. There's been ESG is also being in, in critique recently, for example, from you know people like Elon Musk who said, okay, Tesla is not even in the top 10, I think, um, or um, I think on anywhere on the list. Um, so maybe it's not covering everything the company is potentially doing. Um, so what's your spin on it? 
how do you feel about you know Ishii? I mean, there's been I think it was it's a positive driver overall, but there's been also some concerns about it. What's what's your spin on on Ishii as a score to measure sustainability at a company? That is a great question and certainly very relevant to the time. There are many critiques of ESG for good reasons, um, and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, questions on the intentions of the investors and whether they are genuinely genuinely searching for environmental and social responsibility and willing to think differently about the value that provides, or are they just saying, you know, we want the financial return, but give us this other stuff too, with like, with no differentiation between the quality of what the company is doing. I would not confuse what you might see as questionable commitments for investors. And I, I think there are, my perspective, there actually are investors kind of seriously looking at this and actually actually wanting that. So I, I think there are investors, certainly a lot of investors with uh, great intentions. I would not confuse what you might see as questionable commitments from that community or suspicious company ESG ratings in the term in the uh, example of Mr. Musk, who I think didn't appreciate kind of his rating compared with I think Exxon or some some other some other companies. Don't confuse that with the underlying truth that carbon and climate are crucial issues into which the business community needs to invest. So I think that I think that ESG interest from our standpoint and what we're seeing, it is driving attention toward companies exploring uh, these issues. And that's something to be celebrated on the company level. Um, and again, whether investors are implementing or measuring ESG rights is is is, is less of a concern because I think we see companies moving in the right direction because of this. Another issue I've seen is um, people uh, tr differentiating between what sustainability means and what ESG means. I've seen a lot of um, concerns about that. I'm not personally moved to get into the semantics of it, but I think part of that is coming sustainability is sort of this broader movement looking at multimedia where ESG was sort of an investor term. And I think that's sort of what they're reacting against and just making sure that people say, hey, the, the field of what we look at sustainability is much broader than just ESG as it plays out in kind of the investment. Yeah, I think that that, um, that totally makes sense. And I mean, you know, potentially these, it could be also something that maybe evolves over time and maybe uh, it's going to be an ESG 2.0 at some point. Maybe that looks at sort of like the learnings that were made throughout all, all of the years. And, you know, sort of like what could be the evolution of that. I think that uh, it's an interesting discussion. It certainly drives attention, like um, you said. Uh, it's driving progress and, and innovations, I think, in companies. Uh, but, of course, with everything, there's always room for room for improvement and, and maybe the ability to, to update this as learnings uh, come alive. Um, I would love to talk to you, David. I think, um, like, you think you're sharing some really great insights here with the audience. I think we have to wrap it up, unfortunately, because of time. But on behalf of the audience, I would really love to thank you here for joining the, the podcast. A real pleasure to speak with you, Sebastian, and all my best. Thank you for listening. Don't hesitate to send us a message if you enjoyed the podcast. We would love to get in touch. You can also share it around you and follow us on social media. Stay tuned for our next podcast.